どうもニーシュータヘンラックス You're listening to episode 166 of the Wolf Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. And this podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. This episode is part of our ongoing series called FinTech's Expanding into New Client Segments, where we talk to FinTech executives about the journey they went through when they decided to add a new client segment.、Uh, what were the factors behind the decision? How did it work out? Most importantly, what went right and what went wrong, and how would they change things if they could do it all over again? We chose this topic because, as a group, we work with a lot of fintech firms. We help them not only expand into new client segments, but also better understand their competition, the gaps in their products, the size of their markets, and the trends that will impact their businesses. And if you are a fintech executive with a software product that you're selling to broker dealers, RIAs, asset managers, TAMPs, or other firms, you should run, not walk. To our website, ezragroupllc.com, and fill out the Get in Touch form on the homepage. Our Wealth Tech research team can deliver a wide range of services for your firm, including competitive analysis, new product evaluations, market insights and strategic advice, client buying decisions, integration development work, and more. Every vendor needs this information to be successful, especially when entering new markets. And you can get on the right track by going to ezragroupllc.com. Right, I'm excited to speak to、uh, today's guest, which is Robert Sophia from Snappy Kraken. Robert's co founder of Snappy Kraken, which he founded six years ago. Before that,、uh, he was co founder and CEO of another firm called Platinum Advisor Strategies. He did that also consulting for six years and then sold that to FMG. And before that, he was VP at a Florida RIA called Frost and Frost. As of 2022, Snappy Kraken serves over 6,000 advisors, 200 enterprises with more than 6 million individual investors. Snappy Kraken is a five time honoree of the Inc. 500 slash 5000 list, which recognizes the fastest growing companies in America. Back in 2016, when they first started, they were a winner of the XYPN FinTech competition, which I just helped to、um, moderate. Uh, a couple weeks ago, back in Denver. It's a great competition with new and up and coming fintech vendors. Snappy Kraken is also winner of the 2018 Scratchworks Fintech Accelerator. They've been awarded numerous years as the best place to work in fintech, as the best overall content marketing company, and they've won many, many wealth management industry awards. Also, you should follow Robert on Twitter、uh, at Robert Sophia. He writes about marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, and just general things about life. It's a great follow for you.、Uh, and before we get started, Quick housekeeping note. Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Now, let's kick this thing off. I'm excited to introduce my next guest on the program. It is Robert Sophia, co founder and CEO of Snappy Kraken. Robert, welcome to the program. Thank you, Craig. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy you're here. Where are you calling in from? I am in the beautiful. Appalachian Mountains in North Georgia, right on the border of North Carolina. The Appalachian Trail is about a half a mile behind my house, and I'm looking out the window at some of the most gorgeous fall colors I've ever seen. That is fantastic. I know you just moved there during COVID from Florida, right? I did. That's right. Yeah, big lifestyle change. But now I, I like to consider myself、uh, a bougie farmer, Craig. So <laughs> I, I, I grew my own、uh, vegetables this summer. I、uh, got, got some grapevines going in and、uh, having fun with it up here. I love it. 
Oh, I'm jealous because I had I had a house for 30 for 23 years. Um, and we uh always had a big garden in the back. We uh, we just sold it um now in an apartment. So it's a very different and it's New Jersey, so I don't see anything um except gray, but that's what New Jersey is <laughs> all about. Cool. Um, so thanks for being on the program. Really appreciate it. Um, we're talking about changing client segments. Um, that's the the topic for this month. Firms that have moved into different client segments and some, all the lessons learned. And, you know, we really appreciate you sharing your experience with uh, other, hopefully other founders who are on the call or other um, other firms that are looking to do similar things. But before we start, can you give us a 30 second elevator pitch for Snappy Kraken? Yeah. Uh, Snappy Kraken is a platform that is designed to help advisors build stronger relationships with prospects and clients. Most people think of us as a marketing platform, but we think of ourselves as a relationship platform. And so we use text messaging, email, video, websites that are designed more around the relationship component of things uh, to help advisors build credibility, get in front of the people they want, and ultimately maintain long-term relationships with people who also refer them a lot of business. Thank you for that. Uh, and if you want more information, you can go to snappykraken.com and find out more about uh, the company and their offerings. Uh, let's jump right in. So we'll talk about where, where you guys started. You started in the RIA space and we were very successful there. Uh, what made you want to move into the enterprise space? Uh, it happened organically, very much bottoms up. So we never set out to be enterprise software. We actually sent out to serve individual advisors. But what happened is that we would have a small group of advisors who would start to be vocal about the success they were having with our program. And they would be inside of a network, could be a broker dealer or a TAMP or a larger RIA or uh, an insurance marketing organization or whatever organization they were affiliated with, even coaching programs. And they'd say, oh, wow, you know, you guys are getting all these results. What are you using? And they'd say, oh, we use Snappy Kraken. And then all of a sudden the enterprise would call us and say, hey, we've got 17 of our advisors that use you and they love it. So maybe we got to talk about an enterprise contract. And that happened organically. We went from, you know, 30 licensed contracts to 100 licensed contracts to 500 licensed contracts. And right now I'm, I'm literally in the midst of negotiating a 4,000 licensed contract. So it just, um, it, it happened. And it wasn't that we wanted to. It's just that's what the nature of the advisory business is, right? You've got all these different distribution channels and they're all trying to provide value for financial advisors. And so we ended up in this business. That's a common story. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people tend to just wind up in things as they move, as they grow, as advisors move, as the product uh, gains steam, gains momentum and, and gets uh, well known in the marketplace, uh, you start to get calls, which is terrific. So um, now that you were looking at moving into the advisor space, you kind of made that decision what was the next step? How did you plan your, your move? Yeah. So first of all, I'm sure your listeners know this and I know you know this, but there is no scenario where a retail pricing model works for an enterprise. It's just, there's always uh, the, the group discounting factor, the, the sheer volume of it. I mean, for example, uh, trying to get an LPL to buy 17,000 licenses at mm -hmm. our street price will never happen. Mm -hmm. And so you have to 
get your pricing right for both retail and enterprises. And that was the first thing. Like, what is our pricing model going to be if we're going to do this? Because people were coming to us and saying, we want to buy this many. And we had to figure that out even before we got into the product roadmap piece. Hmm. And then that's the next thing that happens because you close your first enterprise and it's a huge celebration. And then you go, oh, wow, wait a second. They have a lot of unique needs and they're coming to us with all mm-hmm. these ideas. They want to influence our roadmap now and they have features that they want. And it's a lot different when one advisor who's paying you 300 bucks a month asks for a feature than when an enterprise that's paying you $100,000 a month asks for a feature. And so now you have to have product development support for that. And you can't derail your entire roadmap. So we started ramping up engineering resources. And then you say, okay, well, I want, we got this enterprise. It's going great, but well, we should go out and get 10 more this year. How are we going to do that? And then you need enterprise sellers because the way you sell to an individual financial advisory business is different than how you sell into the C-suite. And not everyone is prepared to sell into the C-suite. It's a very different level of conversation. And so then we had to build up a team. And, uh, and oh, by the way, you also have to provide them better service. So what about account managers and relationship managers for these enterprises? And so we very much, I mean, you asked the question, how did we plan it? I, I don't say that we really planned it like we should have, Craig. Uh, we actually just adapted to it. And we did that by A, adapting our pricing, B, adapting our sales strategy, C, adapting our engineering process, and D, adapting our enterprise engagement and support processes. And all of that happened over the period of the last few years. And as we started to really get traction in this area, um, because now we have like 200 plus approved firms and um, you know several white-labeled instances. Today, it was just announced, uh, even technology providers now, we have Orion and Redtail are now you know white-labeling Snappy Kraken and integrating it deeply with their technology and deploying it to 115,000 users. So, I mean, th- this is all stuff that we had to prepare for. And so the process of preparing for it was very much a crawl, walk, run type of process. Congratulations on the Orion news. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And you know, to your question, we would have never been able to get this account if we hadn't started down this path years ago and prepared uh, one step at a time. And I think that's a really big lesson for me. Um, The best laid plans. As an entrepreneur, you come into things and you have a playbook on how you're going to do things. And the market has its own ideas for what it needs from you. And you've got to be willing to adapt to those ideas uh, and and evolve your product and your your infrastructure and your processes to support what the market demands. Exactly, it's it's uh, it's a give and take, and and as you mentioned, we hear a lot of this as well with firms we work with, um, and you know, pricing model is one of the early issues they have to work with and understanding that retail pricing model doesn't work and what is an enterprise pricing model? What are the different options? Like we've built out many pricing models on the enterprise side and there's a number of different ways you can do it. You know, some firms can charge basis points. Most tech firms can't. Um, but Luis, one mistake we see a lot of firms doing is they have an all-in-one pricing model, which they've had forever. And now they're, they're, we come to them and say, you really break this apart. You can, you've got different modules here that you can sell separately. And, you know, you can, rather than selling it as an all-in-one. So did you have that same issue and how did you deal with that? Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's resistance to that. You know, you you don't want to change what's been working and it's a lot of work. You got to, it means new marketing materials and new sales strategy and 
and potentially new product strategy. And so, you know, trying to do all of that can be overwhelming, especially if you're in a growth phase of your business and you, you know, you don't have all the the resources maybe to do all those things. Um, So for us, it, it started out with, you know, we saw the potential and we knew what we wanted to do. Like to your point, Hey, let's modularize this and let's take this piece and sell it separately at a lower cost. And, but that wasn't something we could really do because we didn't have the engineering resources. So we had no choice initially, but to sell what we had. It's like the old fruit truck, you know, mm-hmm. it's full of apples. Somebody comes by for peaches. You don't have peaches. You got apples. You got to sell what's on the truck. Like we, we couldn't modularize our product that easily. And so actually doing that became like a two year process. And in the meantime, what do we do? We said, well, if we don't have peaches, but they want to buy apples, we better just discount the apples. Hmm. And that's what we did. So we kept selling the exact same product, just deeply discounted. Mm-hmm. And then making sure our, our economies of scale worked out, obviously. Um, but then over time, we, we have actually, we, we've done a, a few things. We've, we've split up our product into different components and we've added new products, but we intentionally built them separately instead of bundling them in from the get-go so that we could have that approach. It's like, hey, you know, if, they, if most people want our core product, that's the piece they negotiate for. And those other things become add-ons. And by having them separate, it allowed us to negotiate uh, different types of deals for different types of organizations. Um, but it was it was definitely a process. Yeah, that's something we work uh, with our clients on is understanding that part of the value is having enough products to sell and having enough different components. Breaking into components um, makes clients feel like they're it's being customized for them and that they're just paying for what they need rather than everything. And but it also works better for you because most firms can raise the prices of the modules a little more. That way, you say, well, you, if you buy all these, we give you a discount. Um, if you buy just one, you're going to pay a little more and everyone kind of understands how that works. That's right. Yes. And that's what we've moved to. Uh, it's, it's not actually evident on our website. Now uh, we acquired advisor websites back in uh, April. And so now we've got a whole new product and packaging and bundling strategy with the websites and branding mm-hmm. component of things. And so all of that will be coming out and that, that new model you sort of mentioned there where like, as you add products, everything goes down in price. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that'll be coming soon. But we've already done that for enterprises. Yeah, awesome. That's great news. Oh, but and congratulations on advisor websites. I haven't, I haven't really talked to you since then, but that was a great yeah, move. Thank you. Um, so we're talking back to enterprise. Um, so pricing model, product roadmap, engineering, new marketing materials, new sales, expanding your service. Um, uh, so all these things had to happen. What were some mistakes that you made um, that you, we, if you were talking to a room full of other founders who are then looking to move to another market, what were some of the things that you, you mistakes you made and what were those lessons you learned? Uh, okay. First of all, I didn't do enough competitive research early on. So I was going in naive about where my competitors were coming in. And I was losing a lot of at-bats because our pricing was just too high. And I was like, oh, well, let's just give them 20% off. And come to find out my competitors are like 80% off. And you know, I didn't do enough to understand that and then make sure the unit economics worked out and factor in things like my customer acquisition costs going down, which allows me to price differently. And, you know, all these things that I just, I was winging it in the beginning, just to be honest. And mm-hmm. I would say mistake number one, 
don't wing it. If you get the opportunity, go out, do some real competitive research, which we did later to understand the gaps in our competitors' products, our specific strengths, so we could play to those, our competitors' pricing, and then we could really compete. So that was a big mistake. Um, it cost us some business, but we recovered from it. I could have done better if I'd known up front that that was uh, a little naive of me. Um, another big mistake I think we made was assuming that our product would be enough for them. Like, hey, we gave you a great product. We gave you great pricing. So what more do you want from us? <laughs> and, that, and that's <laughs> not really the case. Um, they, a big enterprise spending a lot of money with you, they, they are going to want some different level of attention and, and, and care and influence over the roadmap and, and product development. And so putting a process in place to go back to our partners and sit down at the table with them at least once a year and say, how's the partnership? And treating it like a partnership. I mean, it's not just a customer relationship. It's a, if they, if you're a big part of their technology stack and they're serving hundreds or thousands of advisors, like it is a partnership. It's a big resource allocation for them. So how is it working? What do you like? What are you hearing from the advisors? What are the pain points? And then getting those things addressed and letting them know you're addressing those things is, is huge. I mean, we, we definitely learned the hard way when some of our partners came back and they were like, Hey, do you really care about us or not? And we had to say, yeah, mm -hmm. we do. I promise. And then I'm flying in to sit down with them and show them how much I care and make adjustments. Mm -hmm. And then I, I think the third thing, Craig, is probably the biggest, and that is if you don't like them during the sales process, you're not going to like them as a customer. <laughs> and don't be afraid to say no. You know, there's a big enterprise that we took on a few years ago, and their name is pretty well known, very reputable in the space, but absolutely terrible to work with. Mm -hmm. And I, in the sales process, I could tell them like, they're disorganized. They're not internally aligned. They have unrealistic expectations. And the whole time I was like, so focused on getting that logo in my portfolio and making the PR announcement that I wasn't really thinking about what it was going to dump on my people. And then my team hated working with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, every time their name would come up, they come on the calendar. It was like, Oh, not them again, not them mm -hmm. again. Oh my goodness. Oh, they're so, and we'd, we'd been over backwards to service them. We mm -hmm. spent so much money servicing them and they were never happy. And then mm -hmm. as soon as the contract was over, they left anyway. And you know what, when, we, when they left, you know what we said? Thank goodness. Right? <laughs> so in, in hindsight, like all I did was waste time and money and burn my people for, for a customer. So man, like, Choose your customers wisely, especially big accounts, because they're going to strong arm you and you better make sure that there's somebody you like. There was an old saying we used to, we've had the saying, you know, 20 years ago before, uh, when, when the market was a lot different and the, the types of clients you worked with was, was a lot different. And this isn't picking on Merrill Lynch, but just at the time, I always use Merrill Lynch as an example, because we just heard so many issues, um, was that uh, working with a small company, and they, it's a good news, bad news for the small company. The founder comes in, good news, bad news, good news. We just got Merrill Lynch as a client. Bad news. We just got Merrill Lynch as a client, right? So right. basically now they own you. Uh, they're going to tell you what to do. They're going to drive your product roadmap the way they want things run, um, right. which works great for Merrill Lynch and they're very successful, but may not work for the other clients you think you might be selling to. That's right. Um, and you do, you may not have the resources to support your other clients when they all get sucked. And you, know, you can replace Merrill Lynch with any 
broker dealer, right. asset manager, any large enterprise firm that is the biggest customer you've ever had. Um, uh, or we, well, it's also called tier one firms. You know, the tier one, you get a tier one client. You know, these are these really big clients, no matter who they are, they're going, if you're not prepared to support them and your organization is prepared to handle them, it can really you know, tank your business. It absolutely can. And we have been fortunate not to be tanked by those. We've definitely won some of those. Um, but that's because we put in the blood, sweat, and tears. And we were resilient as a company, but it wasn't easy. And you better make sure you, you resource for those properly. That's for sure. So thank you for the three mistakes. And um, thank you for just uh, providing those. I didn't have to draw them out of you. Um, oh, so yeah. number- one thing, one thing I don't have a problem with usually, Craig, is talking. Right. Uh, exactly. Good news, bad news. I can talk. Well, that's why I have you on the program. <laughs> All right. So um, don't wing it. Treat your, your clients like partners uh, and don't be afraid to say no to a prospect. So go. going, going back to don't winging it, you mentioned um, doing more competitive research. Uh, and then you also talked about customers ac- customer acquisition costs going down. So can you explain more about why that is and how it affects unit pricing and, and how you, you dealt with that? Yeah. You want me to talk about CAC or you want me to talk about research? Um, whichever one you want to start with. Talk about, let's talk about re- uh, research first. Okay. So yeah, because I think of those things as two very distinct and different mm-hmm. topics. Uh, the the research is hard because you uh, what I did initially, <laughs> I'm telling on myself here, Craig. Uh, I had my salespeople secret shop my competition, mm-hmm. but you don't get the level of detail that you really need from mm-hmm. a research perspective you end up with just a bunch of information and it's not really organized in a way that's extremely helpful. And so that was like our first swipe at it. And we're like, Oh, they have this and we have that. And this is it. And then, you know, so your salespeople are not objective at all. So they pretty Mm -hmm. much just bring you all the, the dirt they think you want to hear. And it's just all the compliments on your product that they think you want to hear. And Mm -hmm. That's not the way to do research. That was another, there you go. Another lesson. By the way, I can go all day on the stuff I've done wrong, Craig. Um, we can expand, we'll expand to other podcasts for you. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Robert, the mistake guy. Um, the, the, the real thing that helped us was doing proper research. And so um, we, we actually, actually hired a research firm who brought in a whole team. Um, they, they analyzed our competition. They went deep. I mean, they spent hundreds of hours and on the webinars and in the meetings and doing screenshots and doing a proper quantifiable research study on all the key areas of our business versus our competitors, creating a a Gantt chart that really showed like where the overlaps were and where the gaps were in our product. Um, Anyway, good, good firm. I recommend them. You might've heard of them. Um, Ezra Group. I have heard of them. <laughs> yeah, but look, I mean, you guys did. You did a great big job reveal to the audience. Big <laughs> reveal. Yeah, it's us. Uh, but it was it was really helpful. And you know, honestly, that study that we had you do back in was it early tw- mid twenty mid twenty twenty early to mid twenty twenty. 
Um, I mean, it led to why we acquired advisor websites. No, it was 2021. And it was a big part of why we acquired advisor websites in 2022. There's a big gap in our product uh, around websites and all of our competitors were offering websites and they were all in one and we weren't. And that was costing us some business. And um, so anyway, that study really helped us figure out how to position our product and how to price our product and how to evolve our roadmap to be more competitive. Excellent. And if I can pat myself on the back, we did a great job. Um, and I'm happy it was it was uh, it worked out well for you. And that's that's our goal is to make our clients extraordinarily happy and successful. Like if you just if we just give you a bunch of documents and you don't actually become successful from it, then it's it was a waste of money. Yeah, and look, it's not cheap, right? I mean, a, a study like that does cost a lot of money, and if if we had to go back and do it again, uh, would I do it? Absolutely. I probably will do another one in the future. I mean, what did I learn? Well, that investment, 100x, maybe more uh, for our business because of the size of the enterprise contracts that we've been able to win by leveraging that information. It's it's been a great investment. Excellent. I'm 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 very glad to hear that. Uh, All right. So research we've got. um, Let's move on to... uh, Acquisition costs. We talk about mm-hmm. client acquisition costs and and how they change during this the whole process of moving into the enterprise space. Yeah, so that's the really powerful thing about enterprise business, in my opinion, um, is that the unit economics of it can be extraordinary uh, and, and superior to individual advisors. And and the two main areas for us where enterprise businesses prove to be very fruitful are in CAC customer acquisition cost and in retention. So net revenue retention, NRR, because the enterprise business, if you think about versus retail, if I want to acquire an individual advisor, I've got to go out and I've got to market my product to get that advisor's attention, to get them into the pipeline and to close them. And I have a funnel and it goes from like the awareness stage all the way down to the decision stage. And I know my ratios all the way down. And when I look at what I have to spend to exhibit at conferences and to run online ads and to build a marketing team that can nurture all those advisor relationships we've set up, my customer acquisition cost is pretty high because of how expensive it is to market to hundreds of thousands of advisors. But with an enterprise, I only have to market to one to potentially get thousands of advisors. It's a big difference. See, I I can call a CMO or request an introduction to a CMO or CEO at an enterprise. And that introduction that starts that whole dialogue really cost almost nothing, but leads to 100 licenses, 1,000 licenses, whatever mm-hmm. the case might be. In fact, our last three enterprise contracts, the big ones came from introductions. So my CAC basically goes to zero. My customer acquisition cost is, the, is a phone call. And then the, it's it's pure clean revenue. And I, I don't want to share all my numbers just because mm-hmm. it, some of it's confidential. But, of course. but I can tell you like my customer payback for a retail customer, what I spend to get them versus what I make on them on average, you know, it's always paid back within about three quarters of a year. But an enterprise client can take we're talking about like millions of dollars in contract value with zero acquisition cost. That's mm-hmm. number one. That's huge. 
Um, number two is the retention profile. I mean, you sign a three-year contract. They're not going anywhere. Individual advisors, a lot of them, they come in, they're fickle. It's like we, they come in, we say, listen, this is a program. You have to work it. You have to use it. It will take time. You've got to invest at least an hour a month. You've got to invest that hour. And then you got to be patient. It's going to take three, six, 12 months before you start to really see an ROI. And you got to be consistent with it. They come in, they log in, they get overwhelmed. They don't do it. Three months later, they're like, I don't have time to use it. And they cancel. I'm like, hold on. You <laughs> knew you needed this. You signed up for it. And now you're not using it and you're going to cancel. It's just like a gym membership. <laughs> that doesn't happen with an enterprise <laughs> because it's too big of a commitment um, and they stick. So those two things combined really make enterprise business valuable for for a company at our stage i think the bigger commitment is the is the big issue uh, is, the, is the big driver there that the going through all that work you have to go through a lot of work and one thing that we we work with your team on is, is explaining how much of work it's going to take to go through these processes which you guys found out uh because of and and the larger the firm you get, the, the more hurdles you have to go through, and more groups, whether their compliance, their tech teams, uh, their cybersecurity, their procurement, their legal, all these different right. reviews. You wind up having to hire people just to do all that work. You do, you do. Yep, it is. And we actually we did have to add. That's another thing we had to add was you know data security and compliance infrastructure. Um, but the truth is, because you have to do all that work. They also have to do all that work, mm -hmm. which means the commitment level is higher. A lot of advisors like swipe a credit card and run, but an enterprise doesn't do that, which means it's a longer fuse, but it's a lot bigger commitment. And that, you know, it offsets the mm -hmm. work required okay. to get it done. Yeah. The onboarding well, that once they've onboarded you and they spent, you know, six months, then they want to make, they want to see value. Uh, let's get this using. Although. Um, any tips for improving advisor adoption? Even though you've gotten into the, the, the broker dealer or large uh, enterprise firm, the advisors still have to want to use it. So any any uh, tips around those uh, adoption rates? Yeah, I mean, without adoption, you've got nothing. That's the whole name of our game. We got to get advisors to use it. And that, if, if we don't have advisor adoption, it doesn't work for individual advisors or enterprises that support advisors. And that's been another thing that's been a huge learning curve we started Snappy Kraken as marketers. And we're like, this is going to save so much time. And it does if you're a marketer, but if you don't do marketing, it just, <laughs> it, it costs you time. Mm -hmm. So that's where it, all, where it all starts is mindset. Like you have to tell the advisors, this is what you want out of it. This is what it's going to take. Do you understand that? Like you have to do this work. And we actually have a graphic. We show people before they buy. And it's like the, the roller coaster of emotion you're going to mm -hmm. go through. Like right here, you're like, yeah, I'm ready to go. Okay. And Two weeks from now, after you're you're finishing configuring everything and like you're really ready to go, you're going to be like, oh, this is harder than I expected. And then you're <laughs> going to push it up the hill and it's going to be like, okay, this is taking me long. And then all of a sudden you're going to be like on top again, like, wow, I'm getting results I never expected, right? Like you got to go through this. So education, number one, be clear. Don't overpromise. Mm -hmm. If anything, underpromise mm -hmm. and then get them in. And then number two, hold their hand. Like this, this is not an industry where everybody expects to do everything themselves. Advisors are very accustomed to being mm -hmm. uh, pandered to by the companies they work with. And so the, uh, interestingly, a lot of investors that looked at Snappy Crack and they weren't interested because of the, the service level that we have to provide. They're like, no, it's not really, it's too service heavy. I'm like, well, you know what? That's the industry we're in. You got to serve. So mm -hmm. 
we have a team. We, we call it, you know, the customer experience team. And their job is to reach out and engage our advisors, hold their hand, get them on webinars, do proactive outreach. Uh, we have extensive customer health scoring data. If they're not logging in, if they're not launching content, we know and we reach out and we move them along. Hmm. And and then like that's that's part of it. The other the other big thing is you got to celebrate the wins. Like we're in the marketing business, but it just applies anywhere. But I'll just use marketing because that's what I'm focused on. What motivates you to keep marketing? Results. So if they're getting opt-ins, if they're getting results, then we got to draw their attention to those. We've got to say, hey, congratulations, you got another lead. And what have you done with it? And then we do case studies on our advisors who are really successful. And we publish those case studies and we circulate those case studies. We're inside of a network that has 10% penetration. And we know there's 90% more to gain. Mm -hmm. We look at the 10%, we say, who's the most successful? We do some case studies on them. We circulate those case studies through the whole network. Here are your peers. Here's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You can be doing this too. And that you know amplifies our adoption by the rest of the advisors. And uh, it's a never-ending process like anything. I mean, I, I go back to the fitness analogy. People, they want to see results. That's motivating. Mm -hmm. They have somebody to hold their hand, call them. Are you coming to the gym? That's motivating. Mm. It's it's sort of the same with uh, with software. Yeah, it's something we talk to uh, a lot of firms about. And one of the one of the terms I use is you need to consider internal marketing just as the same as external marketing. So you need to market to your advisors the good things you're doing. Because we we see adoption rate problems everywhere. Everyone's got problems, and not just marketing software, CRM, financial planning, whatever the software might be. There's always adoption issues. Because and, and part of it is they don't really explain to the advisors what this will do for you and how it's going to help you. And we, we see that there's a lot of thirds. A third will be, will be excited because they're the new adopters, approximately. A third will be on the fence. You got to work on them. A third will hate it because they just always do. So you got to work on the second third first because they're the easiest ones, the low-hanging fruit. Then you really need to focus on the next third because they're not going to want to use whatever tool it is, even if it's great. And you got to come up with new ways to explain to them, whether it's a case study or it's just a, a more explaining, it's more videos, it's more training. There's always different people that, that, that approach these uh, software adoption in different ways. That's right. Yeah. Good advice, Craig. People should listen to you. You would think. After all this time, they would. <laughs> and all this time has gone by and we're out of time. Uh, so, Robert, thank you so very much for being here and, and sharing all this wisdom. I hope everyone who is listening has been taking copious notes uh, because this is super helpful. This is advice that costs millions of dollars to get. And you're giving wow. away for free here on this podcast. Maybe I'll charge next time. You could, maybe. <laughs> you can market that model. Rob, thank you so much for being here. Everyone who's listening, please go to snappycracken.com for more information. And Robert, hope to talk to you real soon. Likewise. Appreciate the time, Craig. Hey, it's Craig again. Here are my top three takeaways from this episode. Retail pricing models do not work for enterprise sales. You must develop tiers that scale to thousands of users. Number two, don't be afraid to say no to a prospective new customer if you don't feel right about them during the sales process. If you're not happy with them, if you're not, if things aren't working during the sales process, things probably aren't going to work once they become a client. And you're better off just saying no now, walking away, rather than trying to get the money and then being sorry for it later down the road. Number three, Include research in your go-to-market budget for your new uh, client market segment. 
as Robert said, a professional competitive analysis report with a detailed gap analysis, feature prioritization is a tremendous benefit. You can receive up to 100x what you pay for it. So make sure you include that in any budgets you do. I know I said top three, but I have one more. Have a plan for advisor adoption. Um, if you, if you, once you get the deal, if you've got an enterprise deal, make sure that's a, an official plan, how you are going to increase advisor adoption. Can't tell you how many uh, fintechs we work with, they get a big deal with a broker deal. They go, hey, it's great. We've got this deal. Well, now you're just on the platform. Now you've got to go out and get the advisors to use the software. That requires a plan. Uh, as, as Robert has uh, a team of customer experience people, they reach out and engage with advisors proactively. Don't just wait. You know, building uh, tools or building educational resources and just putting them out there and waiting isn't the way to go. You need to be proactive. Reach out to the advisors. Think of it as internal marketing efforts, which are just as important as your external marketing efforts. And that's a wrap. You've made it to the end of another episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Thanks for listening. Please go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you'll receive an email chock full of wealth management goodies, links, news, analysis, updates. You will not be disappointed. Thanks for listening. Talk to you all again next time. 